Welcome back to the Brazos Point Living Room. And we are so glad that you're listening along with us. And this week we have the three amigos once again. The dream team is back together. <laughs> <laughs> What's up, guys? How you been? Good. Been good. Yeah? Yeah, man. Uh, and this week we continue our journey to the Gospel of John. And the first question I have for you guys is, what is something you have too much of? Milk. <laughs> like too much cur- milk. Currently? Oh, yes. Oh, like types of? Yes, we've got uh oat milk we've got buttermilk we've got cow's milk we've got soy milk we've got coffee creamer milks in your fridge right in now? our fridge at all times ashley has i mean my family has five <laughs> types of milk like are these different sensitivities no it's different applications for her smoothie oh. this, i mean for our smoothies <laughs> this for our cereal this for our coffee this for our this this nice and, change from her to our <laughs> well the other thing is that you have to know is that we have we have to have a counter depth refrigerator mm. in our house and so for five people, we have a small fridge to begin with. We don't have room in our life for five milks. All the milks. <laughs> a, Only on the one came from an animal. <laughs> the rest came from nuts and things. <laughs> what about you, Shelly? Um, the first thing that comes to mind right now is that uh, a couple years ago, I accidentally <laughs> subscribed to a cleaning product subscription. I thought I was just ordering one thing, but then I got like a box full of things. And then for, I promise you, it was like five or six months in a row. I kept thinking I had canceled the subscription <laughs> and every month a huge box of cleaning products would show up at my door. And so I finally got it canceled and all the cleaning products were in cabinets. And finally, the other day, after seriously, probably two, two and a half years, we used the last hand soap. So now we don't have an abundance, but we did. <laughs> now you need to subscribe. <laughs> That's what I think of. Like, like does anybody need hands? Up? They're listening. I got it. <laughs> Still paying for it. Uh, I have too many coffee cups mm. and mugs, both in my office. How many do you really use, right? Yeah, that's true. They're like, more because you have your favorite, or I do. Yeah. They're displayed nicely, though. In my house? Yeah, like it's almost like a whole other kitchen decoration. Yeah, but that's the problem. It's like more decorative than functional. <laughs> and then you see one or some, we, our, our family, <laughs> sees one. <laughs> we. <laughs> it's like, that'd be a cool mug. And it's like, sure. You know what I don't have too much of? Hmm. Embers. You know, my fancy coffee mug that oh. heats itself through Bluetooth through my phone. I kind of need one at home and one at the office. You're trying to get sponsored? Yeah. Yeah, right. This podcast sponsored by Amber. I think we need more listeners. <laughs> okay. Well, this week, as we continue our journey through the Gospel of John, we see that there's a large crowd beginning to follow Jesus. And as they start to get hungry, we see Jesus take it upon himself to feed them. And as we'll see uh, what happens next, we see why we were talking about what we have too much of and our abundance of. So jumping right in, initially there is a large group of people following Jesus wherever he's going. My first question is why were they following him and what was it that they were seeking from him? So the verses tell us that they're following Jesus because of the signs and miracles that he was doing, you know? So I think they're captivated by his his power. They're intrigued by the things that he's doing and it's it's almost like a, you know, like the circus a little bit. Like they want to see what's the next act. 
do something else. Yeah, yeah, show me what you got. And he's also saying some things that are pretty surprising, too. And so he's just this unique person who can do these powerful things. That's pretty, that's that's some, that's a draw. You know? Well, I think it's cool for us, too, as learners of the Bible, to like follow the crowds in the story of Jesus and the Gospels mm-hmm. because it goes from small group, right, and, and him calling people out. Well, it goes from years of just radio silence of his childhood, really, mm-hmm. uh, into small group into growing out crowds and then the groups grow while as the groups grow the opposition grows and there's a correlation there the opposition is growing because the group is growing right and its popularity is growing and so anyway i just think it's an important detail to follow like what's happening with the crowd ultimately as you get to the cross and then it gets back to where the group really shrinks Mm -hmm. after he gets crucified yeah these are some of the biggest crowds jesus will have well we see that as this large crowd is is following him that they get hungry and uh, Jesus says to Philip one of his disciples where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat and it said that he said this Jesus said this to test him for he himself knew what he would do and so if Jesus asked him where shall we buy bread for these people to eat how was Jesus testing Philip by asking him this question I think he's kind of setting him up to recognize that it's impossible you know like so uh, there's 5,000 people there, 5,000 plus people mm-hmm. there. There's not a store down the road that's got sufficient bread for 5,000 plus. And so it's an impossible, it's an impossible task. And so he's testing him to see if he believes that nothing is impossible with God mm-hmm. and that Jesus is himself God. Something I learned this week is that Philip was from the area, kind of. He was from a from Bethsaida, which was a few miles away. So it may be that Jesus was asking Philip specifically, because if anybody knew the answer to this, it might be Philip, kind of like if I go to Austin, I ask Joseph, hey, what's there to eat in Austin? Um, but also, it's interesting that Philip immediately starts estimating the reasons why not to do this, the reasons why this is impossible, like you said, Randy. And, um, you know, I think sometimes we tap into or we start to estimate the the resources that we can see in front of us. And, you know, I think the test here is to not say no to something because you don't see how it can be done when we know that God can do the miraculous. Well, can, can we take a rabbit trail here for just sure. a second? Like, where should we eat in Austin? <laughs> <laughs> I have a large note. Jack Allen's. Well, are you a fan? Yeah. Oh, wow. So yeah, where okay. do you want to go? I have to pull up my note. Okay. I've, I've got phone. it. I'll send it to you, too. But, but right. to be fair, it's been five, six years since I've lived there. So there are probably a lot of other newer, cooler places. Right, I think Hill Country. I think barbecue. Yeah. If you want to wait in line all day, go to Franklin's. Mm, I do want to wait in line all day, Franklin. <laughs> I need all a right. stack to wait in line all day. I thought you were going to go deep on the rabbit trail. <laughs> yeah, sorry about that. Uh, well, yeah, we see Philip kind of quickly say, or we we need uh, 200 denarii, would not buy enough bread for each of these people to yeah. even have a little. And a denarii was a day's wage. So yeah, that was a like, lot. <laughs> almost sarcastic, even like... like could work for months and still not make this happen. Yeah, this is an impossible task. So Something else that I learned was that this account of this story, this miracle, is told in all four mm-hmm. of the Gospels. And when I was reading in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, the way Jesus says it to Philip or to the disciples is, you feed them. Like, mm-hmm. it's not so much a matter of where should we get some food, it's you feed them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that's another test. 
And so they round up and see, okay, what do we have to start with? What kind of, what do we have to work with? And they find a young boy who's got uh, just bread and fish. Five and two, right? Okay. <laughs> Is it two and five? Is it five and two? It's five and two. We've got a video of Kendall, our oldest, when she was little bitty when she's in preschool. And she's telling this story and she's got goldfish. And she's like, I got one, two, three fishes. And then she like eats it. <laughs> and then she's like, story's over. I ate the, I ate the prop. <laughs> It's so awesome. So five um, and two. Yeah. So, so they find a boy who's got five loaves of bread and two fish. And Jesus performs a miracle with it. And he ends up feeding the masses. And at the end, it says that they gather up uh, more food than they started with. And so the question I have is just, what's the significance of there being more food left over than when they started? I think there is significance, and it also, Jesus says, like, let nothing be wasted. Mm -hmm. um, and this is very convicting for me because I hate leftovers. I knew that was going to come up. I <laughs> knew like, it. No, Jesus, don't <laughs> affirm leftovers. Especially <laughs> 12 huge baskets of them. <laughs> right. I'm so sick of fish and loaves. <laughs> Can we eat something different? No, I think, I, I don't think. Jesus, I don't think anything's by accident, right? Mm -hmm. I think everything's with intention, and Jesus is constantly teaching, and there's layers of meaning in everything he there's does. There's a lesson in the leftovers. There's a mm -hmm. lesson in the leftovers, yeah, and I think there is. I think I think their lesson is there. I think it was there for that day and time for the disciples who experienced it. Mm -hmm. I think it's there for us as the readers who read it now, yeah. and it's like not only is the impossible possible with God, but his power exceeds mm -hmm even what is needed. And I think we also get to see how he takes the little bit that we have to offer and multiplies it. Mm -hmm. You know, when we think we can't do something, when we think we don't have the resources or whatever it is, he takes what little we bring to the table and multiplies it Jesus style. Mm -hmm. Well, and the five and two is woefully insufficient to feed the 5,000. But when God breathes his life and power into whatever we've got, it exceeds sufficiency and it becomes more than enough. And that's the deal. Like Jesus is more than enough. His grace is more than enough for us. And uh, we have everything that we need in him. This makes me think of, I don't know if y'all have heard her talk about it, but Erin Martin, our preschool minister, she tells her volunteers sometimes, she uses this story, and she talks about how somebody packed that little boy's lunch, you know, and she talks about how in preschool ministry, when, you know, with little kids, but I think in other ways too, you don't always get to see the fruit of your labor. You don't always get to see how something you worked on or something you gave gets used for God's glory. And also, that's a pretty mundane task to mm -hmm. pack a lunch. You know, this might be something that, you know, the person who packed his lunch did every day, never knowing that it was going to get retold in all four Gospels of the Bible, you know? Yeah, yeah. that is. That's awesome. That makes it that encourages me because every day I pack Three Uncrustables and... How many milks? Four, yeah, right? I can't, I can't export enough of that stuff. Three Uncrustables and, and two Go-Gurts, you know? Like, One day. There will be a feeding. Uh, well, I have in the study guide for us to kind of skip over, skip back to Exodus 16. And uh, really, the, the moment that's happening here is God is feeding the Israelites as they're in the desert. And he gives them quail because they get uh, filled with bread, but the, also the fact that um, God has given them manna from heaven every morning for them to eat, and they have enough to eat for the day. And kind of playing off of what you said earlier, Shelley, like, you know, in here in Exodus, we see that God is feeding his people every day. 
And the way he does it is he, the food just magically appears. It appears magically, miraculously appears in the morning. Delicious. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the birds just show up and manna just appears. And so I think there's some significance here. What is the significance of Jesus using the people and what they have as a part of this miracle? It is very different. I think it's a foreshadowing of the church. Right, because he says, "Hey, y'all are gonna go on to do greater things than I've done," and he's beginning this movement that will be empowered with his spirit. And so it's this picture of what is to come that God is going to take uh, what we have—the the imperfect, feeble offering that we bring. He's going to bring his power and life into it, and he's going to to fill it with his gifts. And he's also going to bring it together with this great diversity, like a body that's made up of many parts. And then it's going to be a global movement. And it's going to be a movement that the gates of hell will not come against for all of time. And so it's this picture of, you know what? Yes, this is this unique moment in history when God is in the flesh, but he is creating a movement called the church that he will leave along forever. Hmm. I love, like Michelle, like you brought up in the other Gospels, that Jesus tells them they bring the problem to Jesus and mm -hmm. he basically says, you, you feed, feed them. them and he takes what they have and he magnifies it. And just even the perspective for us looking back, the, the reminder, man, God will do more than we think possible with what we bring. But he still wants us to bring it, mm -hmm. right? Like that's what he's still saying to the church. He's like, you feed them, yeah. you clothe mm -hmm. them, yeah. you love them, you lead them, you serve them, right? You bring them to me. And you do what you can, and I'm going to breathe life into mm -hmm. it. This and is I'm how gonna... I designed it to work. Yeah. So good. Well, uh, right after this moment, there's a really interesting part here in verses 14 and 15. Uh, when the people saw what Jesus had done, they said that this is indeed the prophet who has come into the world. And verse 15, perceiving that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. So it's a really interesting uh, note we're given there of they see what Jesus did and they are ready to make him king. And it says by force they were going to take him and make him king, and yet he he sneaks away. And so why did Jesus not want to be made king in this moment? I think there's a couple of things going on here. One is this was not the Father's will, and this was not the timing for this, but it was also not the way. Um, Jesus didn't come to turn over earthly kingdoms. His power and his purpose was greater than that. He came to turn over the kingdom of darkness that's been inflicted upon the earth. Yeah. And he wants to, to, to bring in his spiritual kingdom, which will ultimately reign over new creation, right? Um, so it was just the, it was the wrong way. It yeah, was not... this is very much the people's agenda. Exactly. The people's way. Yeah, but the other side of that, too, that I, I just want us to challenge our thinking on is this. Jesus had to die. Mm -hmm. Jesus had to go to the cross. He had to be crucified to be sacrificed as an atonement for our sins. And so if Jesus had been made king, which obviously he wasn't going to be made king because that wasn't the Father's will, but if Jesus had been made king, he was still going to have to die a sacrificial death. Mm -hmm. And it's much more likely that they're going to crucify and kill him as someone that they see as an enemy rather than crucify and kill him as their own king mm -hmm. that yeah. they've celebrated. Yeah. I love that. I love just thinking about how the whole redemption story has to unfold and the way all of this is pointing us toward that. When he's ultimately going to be king and he's ultimately going to be crowned and it's not because people chose to make him king. Yeah. It's because that is who he is. I think what always stands out to me in these moments is that people were inserting who they wanted Jesus to be. 
mm-hmm. their own thoughts of they're they're trying to make him who they wanted and expected him to be and they were ready for him to be their earthly king to take over an earthly government and, and build this earthly kingdom and jesus is just like this is not like you have greater enemies than you think and i'm here to defeat your greatest enemy and different so, needs than you mm-hmm. think you know like this is still about the people wanting their immediate needs met well but put yourself in the position of the first century people that were power that didn't have power they were they were not in a position of power in regards to the roman authorities that were over them they were not these people were not in a position of power in regards to the jewish structures that were over them so you've got this guy that has this unbelievable power to do incredible things like i don't blame him i didn't like, like we're the mobs we're the mass we're the yeah we're the masses let's make this guy king mm-hmm. because he doesn't abuse us he loves us mm-hmm. yeah but I just I just think of these moments like man they just want to make him king and and even if their their hearts are maybe in in a somewhat right place yeah Jesus like this is still not the way there's a harder road there is it's kind of like last week the whole missing the point you mm. know like that's good but there's more yeah. but it still leaves all of us in the place where we have to decide do I want to make him king yeah right and do and I want to make him king and put him in that position of authority where he's the one calling the shots in my life. You know, like, is that where I'm at? And is the Jesus I'm following the Jesus I see in, in scripture? Or am I recreating maybe what I want him to be? Sure. According to my agenda. Yeah. yeah. Like, And am I wanting him to take on the enemies as I perceive them? Mm-hmm. Right. Rather than the enemy of sin that's wreaking mm-hmm. a war against my soul. Still Oof. true today. Well, one of the last things I have um, is just kind of this reminder. You know, the as we go through this gospel of John, John's account of Jesus and his life and all that he did, um, really at the end, he tells us that he wrote the, the this account so that we might believe. And at the conclusion of the gospel, John writes that Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book, meaning that there was more that Jesus did than is accounted for in this gospel account. And so it really means that John was intentional about what he chose to include in his account. And so as you continue on, just thinking through what is the significance of John including the feeding of the 5,000 and in a second, um, we, we see Jesus walking on the water in front of his disciples. John chose to include those two moments. And so what's the significance? Well, I think in addition to them both being this real clear demonstration of his power and his authority over even creation and nature, I think there's other things going on and there's so much of chapter six that you have to keep together and we're having to break Mm -hmm. it up into messages, but uh, hang with us and stay with us and watch for these connections because we're going to go from the feeding of 5,000 where Jesus takes the five loaves and immediately into a position where Jesus is going to call himself the bread of life. That's where we're going the the following week. And and the the meaning is absolutely connected and tied here. Yeah. And there's, it's another test of faith too, um, in that, you know, the disciples, when the storm happens and, and they don't know what's going on, they're fearful. And something I notice is that, that fear makes us forget, you know, fear fosters forgetfulness, if you like alliteration, um, when we're in the heat of who that. Who doesn't like alliteration? <laughs> who doesn't? <laughs> <laughs> you know, sometimes it makes us forget what we've seen him do. Mm-hmm. Well, and his response to them when he's walking on water is, it is, I don't be afraid. Yeah. And so perfect love casts out fear, right? Mm -hmm. And the presence of Jesus 
takes fear out of our life. And you know, I mean, that's so much a part of following Jesus is what does it look like for in real ways in real life for the presence of Christ in our life to remove the fears and worries of this world? Because we know not only what our eternity is, but we know who is in control and who holds us in, in the, in the temporary. Hmm. Well, kind of my last thought for you guys is, you know, based on these moments we're looking at in Jesus's life of feeding the 5,000 and using the people and walking on water and all these things, how do how do these moments influence your faith today? Like, what is it a reminder of to you when you read that? How is it, you know, influencing your faith and how you choose to follow Jesus day to day? I look at the feeding of the 5,000 and think, man, it's not just 5,000 people. That's just the men. And then there's women and children. So it's this abundance of people and how Jesus takes the five loaves and two fish and he has leftovers. And I think it becomes, in my mind, a physical representation to, to represent you know, like what we've been talking about for weeks in this gospel of John is Jesus is doing the miraculous to authenticate the gospel message. He's doing the physical to demonstrate that he has the power and the authority to do the spiritual claims that he has. And so then I I just let the feeding the 5,000 become kind of a symbolic picture for me of what God actually can do in forgiveness, that his forgiveness and his grace is sufficient, that it's enough to cover all those and me and have left over and it's more than enough. And so then it becomes this invitation, like we've talked about, where Jesus is saying, okay, now join me in this work, right? You go do it. You help yeah. me. And so it really makes me think if that really does define the abundance of the forgiveness of God that I love and that I live in, what does it look like for me to actually be the kind of person that forgives as I have been forgiven, hmm. you know, and to join him in that work and actually extend grace the way I've had grace extended to me. And am I doing that and how well am I doing at that? And, you know, there's specific things in my life right now that I'm battling up against where if I'm honest, you know, I don't, I, I, I don't want to, I don't want to because I'm skeptical that if I do, uh, that things will change. And, and yet the calling on our lives as followers of Jesus is clear. It's like, forgive the way you've been forgiven. And, and this is a picture to me of the abundance of forgiveness that God has and that he's given to me. And I just want to turn around and leverage my life to do yeah. the same. You know, I don't know if that gets at what you were talking about with us. That's what's on my heart. <laughs> <laughs> I think for me, um, the way it affects how I live now is that and I think I think every time I read these stories something different jumps out at me and so this time what I'm noticing that's really impacting me is how he uses us in the story how we get to be woven into that and you know like we said earlier he takes what we the little bit we have to offer compared to what he can do and he multiplies it miraculously. And so I think it's a challenge. Um, it's encouraging because I'm not the one who has to multiply it, but it, it's also a challenge to go ahead and bring what I do have to the table and allow him to do that and offer that. Um, and then also I heard a sermon over this one time about how in the feeding of the 5,000, the disciples were distributing the food, but they had to keep returning to Jesus. You know, he was the source of it. And so they would go out and serve the people, Mm -hmm. but they had to come back to the source to go out and serve the people again. And I think for me, I think sometimes, um, 
I can be tempted to think I'm doing something on my own, you know, in my own power. Maybe, maybe I'm not even consciously thinking of it that way, but I stop seeing Jesus as the source. Yeah. Like I'm aware of my relationship with him, but I that's don't so see him good. as the source. But you need to slow down because that's what we're going to talk about some next oh, week. Oh, okay. Well, <laughs> don't want to step on those toes. Yeah. But I do, I mean, I love what you're talking about because I think it serves as such a great reminder for all of us as ministers and not just the three of us who are vocational ministers, but those of you who are listening that are volunteers volunteer ministers. Yeah. It's like if we have any hope of effectiveness and fruitfulness in ministry, it's that God would take the little feeble efforts that we have and breathe life into them. If anything we do has the power to life change, it's because God is breathing life into what we're bringing. Does he want us to bring it? Absolutely. Yeah. But unless he breathes life into it, it will not have power. It will not have fruit and effectiveness. Hmm. I think these uh, this, these passages always remind me uh, that God's got me. You know, um, I think about when Jesus said, look at the birds, you know, they don't s- sow, they don't store away food, but I take care of them. How much more valuable are you to me? And I just think about how Jesus used what they had and he made it more than enough. It was abundant and he fed the people. He cared about their needs. And then I think about Jesus walking on the water, like even when I don't fully understand what God's doing, just that reminder of they were freaked out and he told them, Hey, it's me. Don't be afraid. And, uh, just even when I don't fully understand what God's doing in or around me, just that reminder, Hey, he's, he's got me. Don't be afraid. He's in control. Even when it feels like what God's doing is foolishness. Yeah. Right. Like the idea of feeding 5,000 with five loaves and two fish, that feels foolish, but he's got this, trust him, you know? Mm. And also the, that, that verse about the birds sewing, it always makes me think about birds sewing like S E W. Like trying to use their, their <laughs> what wings. Cinderella? Yeah, like but trying to use their wings. Like like trying to use their wings with needle and thread and they're like, I can't sew. <laughs> Jesus would have been so annoyed with you. Yes. <laughs> How do you know he's not? How do you know he's not? What type of sewing? <laughs> So-and-so. We're talking S-O-W, S-E-W. S-O? Randy, you're in timeout again. (laughs) All right. Well, that was great. I enjoyed that. Well, thanks so much for listening, and thanks for giving us reviews or giving us any sort of feedback. If you do want to give us a note or an email or anything like that, you just shoot us a message to smallgroups at brazzespoint.com. We would love to hear from you and any feedback you've got for us. Thanks for listening, and we hope you tune in next week.